As we read our text this morning, you can't help but notice um, we're dealing with some fishermen this morning in our text. How many here are fishermen? A couple of you? All right. Um, you know, I've fished early on in my life when I was a teenager. Um, we used to have this little creek, crick as we call it, back in Pennsylvania, and uh, it was called Little Bear Creek. And we used to go out there and we camp sometimes, but I remember it was in the springtime. I, don't, I, don't, I can't remember the date. I haven't been fishing so long. Some of you may know, but the beginning of trout season. And the first day of fishing season was just crazy. I mean, the week before, you're getting all your gear ready. Maybe you'd buy a new rod or a new reel or whatever, and you know, you'd go get the bag and, and uh, you know, get all your stuff in there. And, and uh, we'd even begin to collect night crawlers couple weeks in advance, we'd go out at night in the front lawn and with the flashlight, you know, we'd find these big long night crawlers and we'd uh, put them in these uh, cans of dirt and uh, somebody said, oh, good thing they, you put coffee grounds in there and, you know, boy, they just love that. And so we just thought, man, we were just, we had the bait, we had the reel, we had the rod and everything and we'd go out to Little Bear Creek and we'd get up there and you had to get up there early. I mean, before sun up. I mean, it was just crazy how many people were out there. And you got your license, you got everything, your gear ready to go. And I remember our brother dropping us off because I was too young to drive. And uh, I just remember cars and cars lining this road. Interstate 87, it wasn't interstate, it was like a state highway there, 87, that goes out to uh, this little creek. And it just all over the place, just people with fishing rods and everything. And I remember going up there and, and in the early, you know, you had to wait. There was a certain time you had to start and everything. It was kind of crazy. And uh, I remember getting the stuff, you know, the worm on the hook and getting, find the location, everything. I mean, put a lot of effort into this. And you get up there and these are streams that were stocked, obviously. And so there was trout in there. But, you know, some years, I mean, the catch was incredible. You know, you throw your hook in and boom, somebody you get a hit and you wheel it in, native trout or rainbow trout sometimes, and good to eat and it had to be a certain size and everything. And I just remember, you know, this one hole one time, my friend and I were standing there and we thought we had the prime location. And, uh, you know, once you get up there and you get your kind of self set, you kind of, you know, you kind of set off a, a certain thing that, hey, this is our spot. And the first day it's so crowded, you, you, you know, it's hard to find a spot like that, but we did. And, and I remember my friend and I, we, you know, time came, we threw the, 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 the uh, worms in and everything, and we're waiting and waiting and thinking, ah, this is good, you know, it's got this kind of hole under this cleft of rock, you know, and I just thought, boy, there's a big trout in there. Just know it. I can feel it in my bones, you know. And we're fishing, you know, and keep on kind of throwing it in and kind of waiting and waiting. Nothing's happening. And I thought, this is weird. And, uh, you know, probably a couple minutes went by, because like I said, it was crowded, and pretty soon people started to walk up and, you know, oh, you don't, you don't mind, and, you know, well, whatever, go ahead, you know. And I remember this, this older gentleman came up, and uh, my friend and I were just kind of getting almost ready to move on. And he threw his, whatever he had on that thing, I don't know, to this day, I don't know what he had on that hook. But as soon as it hit the water, I mean, this trout just, <clears throat> and he reeled it in, he's looking at us, you know, and I'm looking at him like, what's going on here? And it was just, he had something, he had some form of bait that was unknown to us. And he caught these fish, like one after the other. I bet he caught like four or five trout while he was standing there. And then finally he goes, well, I guess I'll move on. You know, it's like, oh, great, you know. And still, we don't have a bite. And I remember being so frustrated 
in that situation. And we went on. I don't think we caught a fish that whole year, that whole day, I mean, you know. And it was just so, such a frustrating circumstance. Sometimes when we, it comes to fishing, there's certain things that you have to do. Well, we see Jesus here, and he, just in kind of review from last week, we remember that we looked at the beginning of Jesus' ministry last week. And we talked about how he started his ministry not in his own time. He started his ministry when? In God's time. If you look back at, at verse 12 and on there, we looked at 12 through 17. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, he departed to Galilee. In other words, the Son of God who knows everything, when he heard that John the Baptist was put into prison, he said, okay, now it's time. Now I get started. Now it's God's time. Sometimes in life we want things in our time, and it doesn't always work out that way, does it? God has a timing for everything. God is in control. We're not. And sometimes we have to yield ourselves to His graciousness and His mercy and say, God, you know, whatever you're doing in my life right now, I don't understand what it is, but I know it's happening in your time. Because there's nothing happens outside of God's time, because God transcends time. There's no yesterday, there's no tomorrow with God. He's above all that. That's hard for us to conceive, but that's true. And so here Jesus started His ministry not when He wanted to, but He yielded to the Father. Secondly, we looked at God's placement, where He wanted Jesus. And we kind of read down through 12 and 16 and we saw it kind of moved around to a couple places there. Well, that's exactly where God wanted Him. And we talked about how if you were going to begin a ministry back then, you'd probably go to Jerusalem because that's where all the Jews are, that's where all the people are, and it's a religious city, and boy, it would just be a thriving place. Well, God didn't have that in store for Jesus when He began His ministry. All right? And so He wanted to do it not only in God's timing, but at the right place. And like I said earlier in our prayer, you know, there's nobody that's here this morning that just kind of wandered in here by mistake. You're here because God wants you to be here. I don't know why He wants you here, but He does. Last thing, Jesus didn't preach His own message. He preached what God wanted Him to preach. In verse 17, and you look at that message, He says, from the time Jesus began to preach and to say, and here's the message, here's what the Gospel is all about. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we talked about how repentance means a change of mind. You know, it's, it's, you're going one way with your life and all of a sudden God changes your heart and He changes your direction. And rather than running from God, you're running to God. Rather than kind of wallowing in your sin, you're flooded in His righteousness because He's changed your life. Not because you deserve it, not because you earned it, but because He's God and that's what He can do. And it's incredible. You look at the people that Jesus starts His ministry with, these guys were not the brightest guys on the block. They just weren't. They were fishermen. And a lot of times when you read about these fishermen in the New Testament, they're not even fishing. They're mending their nets. Now think about it. If you did fishing for a livelihood, you'd probably want to spend most of your time fishing. These guys were seemed like they were always mending their nets. They're always fixing their nets. And I don't want to take anything away from the disciples. I mean, obviously they were gifted of God and everything, but you know what? They weren't, weren't the brightest bulbs on the block. You know, it's not like Jesus went to Jerusalem and said, okay, let's see who has this degree or who has that degree or who has this kind of family upbringing and who has this. I want the cream of the crop to start my ministry. 
I've known some pastors over the years that start new churches. In other words, they go to an area where no church exists and they start a brand new church. And some of them are blessed to have funding. And so what they do is they go out and they get the best of the best. They get the best preacher. They get the best music person. They get the best evangelistic outreach guy. They get the best small groups guy. And they get all these guys together and they start a brand new church. And usually the church just, you know, takes off. Because there's so much giftedness there. Well, Jesus didn't do that. He kind of looked at some of the lower class of people in society and he said, you know what, I'm going to use people like this. And the reason he's going to use people like that is because that's where he gets the most glory. Stop and think about it. If you were not a pianist, you never touched a piano before, and God moved upon your heart, come up here and play Amazing Grace. You don't even know music. Think you'd be a little nervous? Probably. Especially if you did it in front of people. You get up there and you sit down at the piano and you're thinking, God, I don't know why you're calling me to do this because I don't, I don't even know I don't even know what these things are. Black, white, what, what's, what is this? And all of a sudden, you just start to play Amazing Grace in the most magnificent way that it's ever been played. Who's going to get the glory for that? God. God's going to have to get the glory because you didn't do any preparation. You didn't know music. It was something that God just supernaturally did through you. See, sometimes we want part of the glory in life. We want to get to the end of our life and we want to feel good about ourselves and say, hey, you know what? I was a hardworking person, which is good. You know, supported my fans, did all these things. And we get to the end of our life and we think somehow that God is going to look at those things and say, wow, okay, I'll let you in heaven because of all the things that you've done. I'll let you in heaven because you are a good person. I'll let you in heaven because you help out charities. I'll help, let you in heaven even because, you know, you help the, the little old lady across the street when she can't carry her groceries and all these things. And we think somehow that that's going to earn our way into heaven. Well, Jesus' message wasn't, hey, do more. Do better. You've got to do more. If you're going to get to heaven, you've got to do more. That's not his message. I grew up in a church where that's what was taught. The more you do, the more, the more you give, the more, you know, all this stuff. If you go to church on Sunday, that's great. If you can come out to, to church every day of the week, well, that's even better. God will like you more. And that's a lie. God does not love us or even like us based on what we do. The Gospel says, Jesus said, repent. In other words, change your thinking. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking somehow you're earning kudos with God by the way you're living, sorry. The Bible says very cleanly, or very clearly that we're, we're saved by grace. What's grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Something that cannot be earned. Why do you think God do that? did that? Because the simple fact that He didn't want us to receive the glory for our salvation. He wanted to receive all the glory. Because He's God. That's the kind of God we serve. And so when we look at this, this, this text here this morning, you know, I want to ask you a couple questions. We're going to look at basically three commitments that will give your life meaning and purpose. And it's kind of an overview of these verses. And 
and next week or the week after we'll kind of hit them again. But it's kind of an overview. You remember a guy by the name of Dallas Frazier back in the early 60s? He wrote a little song. It's a country tearjerker song. And part of the lyrics, every, Elvis sang it, a bunch of different people, uh, Humperdinck sang it, all these different people sang it. And it says, there goes my reason for living. There goes my everything. It was a common song in the world of country. And it was a song, a sad song, really, about a man who had lost his one reason for living, his true love. And the song kind of explained, without her, the song goes on to say, life isn't worth the trouble. You ever feel that way? Life isn't worth the trouble? Sometimes I feel that way, to be honest. It's like, God, why don't you just come back or take me home and get this thing over with? Some of the things we've got to deal with down here in life aren't very pleasant. Some of the things we've got to deal with on a daily basis aren't very pleasant. But you know what? That's what God's called us to do. But that song says, because I lost this, this true love, this woman I love, well, there goes my everything. There goes my reason for living. Life isn't worth the trouble. I pray this morning that you find something else to live for than just a lost love or misplaced value on something. Here are some questions I just wanted you to ask in your head. Just sit there. Don't answer them. Just in your own mind. Take a moment to think about these questions. When you woke up this morning, as soon as your eyes woke up, what's the first thing you thought about? The very first thing. During the day, throughout the day, throughout your week, any given day, what's the most time that you spend thinking about one thing? What, what is that? What is that one thing you spend the most of your day thinking about? And even when you fall asleep at night and your head hits a pillow and you're tired and you're just about to drift off, what's that one thing that dominates your thought? as your eyes close and you drift off to sleep and you begin to snore like a bear, guys. What's that one thing that you think about? See, more than likely, the answer is different for everybody. But you know what? A lot of times the answer to all three of those questions is going to be the same thing. It's going to be that thing that you're, you're living for. That thing that's consuming. And it could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing. See, in the Gospel of Matthew here, we have a story about Jesus who's taking a walk beside the Sea of Galilee. It says, in Jesus walking, in verse 18, by the Sea of Galilee. And it says there that he saw two brothers, Peter and Andrew. And it says they were casting their net into the sea. They were fishermen. They weren't just mending it. They were. And it, it says that he called out to them to follow him. Now think about it. These guys are just kind of there. And next week we're going to look at the aspect of, you know, this isn't the first time that Jesus addressed these gentlemen. In the different Gospels, they're chronologically different. And Jesus had to call some of these guys a couple times away from their profession. Because first time he called them, he called them to salvation, they got saved, kind of helped out a little bit, and then they drifted back into their profession. 
But the first call on anybody's life is salvation. That's not this one here. It's in another gospel. But it's interesting to me that we see here when he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The very next words is, they immediately left their nets and followed him. See, this story that we're going to look at this morning really helps us develop a reason for living in a way that will last throughout all eternity. You know, if you ever watch TV much and you go through the infomercials, there's a lot of people on there trying to get people to change their lifestyle. You know, they have all these infomercials and they have guys standing in front of Ferrari and, you know, a big mansion. He's like, yeah, you know, I was making 395 at Jack in the Box last year. But now, look at me. You know, and it's all due to so-and-so, this real estate mogul. And, you know, for $395, if you send in your money, you can live like me too. And you think, well, how stupid. Who would do There's people do that every day. How do you think they're paying for the airtime to be on that, that television station? It happens all the time. People are looking for a reason to live. But the problem is it's temporal. It's just here on this earth. This isn't what it's about. Everything we see around us, the cars we drive, the houses we live in, the professions we, we, we work in, everything will be gone. And when we're ushered into eternity, a lot of this stuff isn't going to matter. And I love that question when John asked it down there because it really, you actually needed more time to think about it. You know, I mean, I don't know. I, I was kind of embarrassed after some of the guys answered because mine was kind of, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you what it was. You know, I, I sat there and, and I thought, well... Someone else said, well, you know, I'd probably have a, 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 a really good devotion in the morning. I mean, one of those good ones, you know, where you're not just opening the verse and going, okay, you know, because you're going to meet the Lord, so you want to be right, and everything. And I'm thinking, if I'm going to meet the Lord, I'm going to spend eternity with the Lord. I'm going to do something I'm not going to be able to do in heaven. It's not, not going to have there. That's what I want to do. So I thought, okay, you know, but I thought, you know, I'd like to preach a message, have my loved ones there that don't know Christ, have people there that don't know Christ so that I could share the gospel with them and explain to them that, hey, you know, uh, this, is, this is a real message. It's not some fairy tale. And it's changed my life. And, you know, I won't be here tomorrow. And, and it's okay because I'm going to be with the Lord. And then I said, you know, I'd like to go basically fly an F-18 and, and then jump out of the airplane and parachute down to earth. And I'd like to spend some time, obviously, with my grandkids and my daughter and grand and son-in-law and wife, and and you know it was, it was things like that. But I thought, you know, after a while, I, you know, through the weekend, I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking, well, you know, yeah, I had the kind of the gospel thing in there, preach a message, a spiritual thing, you know, it wasn't totally in the flesh. So I mean, that that kind of covered the other, you know, jet uh, F-18 ride and some other things that I'd like to do. But you know, in reality. I mean, if you stop and think about it, would it matter in heaven whether I ever got to ride in an F-18? It wouldn't matter to me. It wouldn't matter if, you know, I got to jump out of another airplane. I did it once. I just kind of like to do it again. It's kind of fun. With a parachute on, mind you. And, you know, it's kind of a neat thing to do. And I just thought, you know, that would be a fun thing to do. But you know what? It's not going to matter. And I started thinking about it. You know, if the Lord comes back before I die, I mean, you know, there's a thing in the Bible called the rapture. And I mean, you know, that's got to be 
a hundred times better than an F-18 ride. I mean, you're just out of here, you know. And so I'm thinking, well, okay, maybe he's got that covered. But I'm thinking, you know, probably one of the most important things that would, we would do is, is we would spend more time on spiritual things. It wouldn't just be, you know, well, you know, I'd cut the grass in the backyard, you know, whatever. The other thing I said, dear, just to let you know, I just thought of this. I said I'd go find a lawyer and I'd find the most, the best insurance policy, like, you know, for life insurance, that didn't have these clauses where you had to wait 90 days. I mean, it was immediate. And it just take out a huge, huge policy. And uh, so my wife family would be taken care of. So I was thinking of you as I was flying through the clouds on the F-18. You know, I don't want you to think I left you out there. But, you know, it, it's important to stop. And we stop and we say, you know what? The Lord clearly tells us here that we need to make three commitments. Three things that are, would be important if we were going to be ushered into eternity. And you see there in verse 18 and 19 that he saw two brothers casting the light. And he says, come follow me. Come follow me. The first commitment that we need to make is a commitment to follow Christ. A commitment to follow Christ. What does that mean? You know, John had us in Leviticus chapter 10, and we were talking about the guys that ushered or threw a strange fire in front of the Lord and, and God consumed them. All right? And part of that verse at the end there, it said, And those who want to draw near to God, God is saying this, I must be regarded as holy. And in that, I'm glorified. I'm paraphrasing it for you. But I thought, you know, a lot of times we think that somehow just saying God is holy is good enough. That's not true. God knows He's holy. Just saying God is holy, that doesn't glorify Him. It's when we regard Him as holy. See, when we commit our lives to following Christ, really what we're saying is, God, I regard, I'm regarding you as holy because I need to follow Christ because I'm not perfect. He was perfect. And He died on a cross for all my imperfections, for all my sin. And He took it upon Himself. And He cries out to everyone, Come, follow Me. And throughout the world, a lot of people take that name of Christian and now it's just a generic phrase. You can be anything and be a Christian. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm a Christian. Where do you go to church? Well, I go to the, the, the first church or what's happening now? You know, oh, that's weird. What do you guys believe? Oh, we believe in everything. It doesn't matter what you believe, you know. We're just Christians. And you see this term thrown around. Well, the very word Christian means little Christ. It means a follower of Jesus Christ. It means someone who's willing to give up everything and say, you know what? There's, there's more to this life than just kind of grabbing everything we can, hoping that maybe one day God will let us into heaven. There's a spiritual aspect to our life that says, you know what? We need to commit ourselves to following Christ because He provided a way of salvation. You don't want to just follow Jesus because it's something to do. I didn't wake up one day and go, gee, you know, okay, I'm going to school to be a criminologist, police officer, all this stuff. And, and then, you know, oh, I think I'll just trash all that and just follow Jesus, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that sounds good. Why? I don't know. I just thought I'd do it. No, He touched my heart. He changed me. And He caused me to look at that other stuff and go, ah, you know what, that's, that's cool and I like that stuff. You know, police activity, that it just kind of engages me. If there's sirens or whistles, you know, just thank God every Sunday morning there's not sirens and stuff going off because I would be definitely distracted. Because just, I'm just like, you know, like a bead of honey. I just, you know, when I hear sirens or see little flashing lights, it's like, what's that? 
you know. Remember when they had that big fire down here just a couple weeks ago? My wife and I were driving to Costco. So we ended up going down Whipple. She's like, where are you going? So, oh, I'm, we're going to Costco. Well, we ended up down there kind of by the, the, the marina thing and uh, thinking it was down there and it wasn't. It was over off of Woodside, so then we made our way over there. And, you know, we had to go to the parking lot, right up as far as you could go. The police line's there. You can't go any further. And I had my scanner and I get out and I'll be right back here. You know, we're, we're going to Costco on this, you know. And um, so she's sitting in the car, you know, among these toxic fumes. And I'm the dumb one that gets out of the car and makes my way over to this fence. And, and I'm looking, and you can't see anything. And I thought, well, you know, what kind of building is this? This thing's been burning. It, it couldn't have burned down. It's still on fire. I didn't know what it was. And, you know, I hear them calling for cranes and tractors. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, man, what are they doing over there? And I, wanted, I would have stayed there all day. But I'm thinking, wait, my wife's in the car. We're going to Costco. Get refocused. Okay. You know, so we got in the car. We finally ended up in Costco. But see, sometimes we get off the track. We get off the track. You know, and, and we just, we just kind of lose it. And see, some people, just to say that they're Christian, what does that mean? They grew up in a certain church. Or they grew up in a certain family. Yeah, we're a Christian family. Whatever. That's not what Christian is. Some people, when they say they're Christian, it means they're baptized into a certain church. Or, or their, their family has a historical tradition of being with, affiliated with Christianity. Well, what is a Christian? A Christian is someone who, Christian is someone who follows Christ. It follows Christ. Even in our world today, you hear on the political news, you know, certain people are called Christian as opposed to Muslim or, or Jewish or whatever. That doesn't mean they're Christian. That just means that's the kind of caste that, that the society's put them in. They're of this ideology. It's a certain political ideology to some people. You know, in some parts of the world, unfortunately, you know, there, there are, are Christians who are guilty a very violent crimes. They, 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 they say the word Christian and they apply it to themselves, but they're really kind of in a political movement and their motives are often less than Christian-like. good example is the whole thing over in Northern Ireland between the Catholics and the Protestants, that thing. How, I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, you have people killing people and then saying, well, this, God would want us to do this. I don't think so. Some people have walked down an aisle, they've raised a hand, they've been baptized, they conformed, they conform, confirmed, they join a certain church, whatever it may be. They think that they've done everything that it takes to be a Christian. I'm here to tell you that Jesus calls for a deeper commitment to that, than that. It, it calls for a commitment to follow Him. It's not just coming to church. It's not just saying a prayer. It's not just raising a hand. All those things are good if they have meaning, if they have meat on the bones. Matthew 7.21, Jesus said very clearly, He says, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But who will? Only he who does the will of My Father. What's the will of His Father for you? I can tell you. I don't even know you. The will of His Father for you is that you follow His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what it is, plain and simple. Becoming a Christian begins with asking Jesus to come into your life to forgive you of your sins. Maybe you're sitting here and saying, well, you know, you know, I'm a pretty good person. No, don't, don't even go there with me. Because, you know what, we're all sinners. The Bible clearly says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. 
Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever thought a thought maybe you shouldn't have thought? Have you ever said a word that maybe would dishonor God somehow? It's clear. We're all sinners. Let's, let's just admit it. And we all need a remedy for our sin. We need that forgiveness. And Jesus freely will forgive you if you cry out to Him. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Salvation is a free gift of God. Over and over and over I see that in Scripture. And living the Christian life involves a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. Living in a, in a way and in a nature that He showed us in His Word. This is how I live. Now you go live this way. That's why He came to earth. That's why He came to earth and He lived actually here 30 some years. So that we have a pattern to follow. If you've ever gone to a new job and you know and you don't know what's going on, it's your first day. Usually you spend some time filling out paperwork and getting the insurance stuff, all that stuff ready. And then it's like, okay, it's time to get, get to work. Let's get your gear, whatever it is, you know. If it was uh, you know in a warehouse, whatever, maybe you have to wear a hard hat, different things, you know. And uh, you get all your stuff and then it's time for you to go to work. I remember I worked in a warehouse and the first night I showed up, my, you had a forklift, electric one, it was pretty cool, it went pretty fast, you know, it was like a giant skateboard around this warehouse, I mean, we had a blast with those things, but, you know, it was, it was interesting, the job was to go pull food products, put them on a pallet, take the pallet to a certain part of the warehouse, set it there, and then people, you know, move it onto the trucks, pretty simple job. Well, they give you this readout, a computer readout of all this stuff. And it's basically the aisle and the location. Every aisle, I mean, there's these huge aisles, and every aisle has a spot, kind of like a Costco kind of a thing. And every spot has something in it. And I just remember getting there the first night, and the guy that was supposed to train me wasn't there. And they said, well, it's not difficult. You can figure it out. I don't think I got a college degree. Sure, I can figure it out. I get over there, I'm standing by my forklift, and I'm kind of, you know, looking at this thing, and I don't, I don't know where to begin. I had the slightest idea. No one was there to show me, here's what you do. So I kind of ran this thing back and forth the aisles, and maybe it looked like I was busy for a while, till the break time. And went in there, and they're, well, how's it going? I said, well, I don't know, you know, I'm trying to figure this out, I just don't get it. And finally, one of the other guys, he was like half done with his, I didn't even start. He said, you know, here, I'll show you. See this box here? This shows you the aisle. This number here is the, the location of the thing. And it was like this, this clear, just very simple. And after a while, I didn't even have to look at the sheet. It was like, oh, yeah, this company, yeah, I know what they want. And I'd go and pull it, and I'd be right. I only worked there maybe six months or a year. But I just remember, at first, it was so overwhelming, there was no direction. See, when we commit to following Christ, He has laid down a path. He's there to show us what we need to do. He's there to help us through that whole process. He challenges us to love our enemies. He doesn't say just go do that on your own. He gives you the love to do that. Do good to those who harm you. Give to those who need. Live a life of holiness. I mean, it'd be one thing if God saved you and then He just said, okay, now you go live a life that's going to glorify me on your own. But that's not true. Jesus left the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit comes into your life and just revolutionizes your whole life. He gives you a whole new purpose for living when you follow Christ. 
We want to live the kind of life that He showed us how to live. Our reason for living is to become more like Christ. I remember reading a book and they said, what, what is the purpose of marriage? John gave me this book. And I thought, well, at first I'm thinking, ah, you know, whatever, happiness, whatever, you know, procreation of children. And it said in this book, the purpose of marriage is to become more like Christ. That's the purpose of marriage. It's not your happiness. Hopefully you'll be happy. <laughs> but you know what? That's not the purpose. God takes two imperfect people and He puts them together and He says, now live in harmony together the rest of your lives. Tell me, that's not a chore. You know, I don't care who you are. You know, I mean, that would be difficult for anybody. But you know what? God says, you know, I'm, I'm here to help you. I, don't, I just didn't throw you out there and say, okay, go do this on your own. He's there to help us do these things. Our reason for living is to become more like Christ. And you can stop and you can look at certain people who name the name of Christ and yet you see in their life, there's nothing there. There's no life change. There's nothing that's been transformed. There's nothing that's been changed. What's your reason for living? Is it to commit to Christ? Is it to follow Christ? Or are you just doing your own thing? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, when Jesus calls us, He bids us to come and die. He bids us to come and die. That's what Jesus says in, in the Word. He says, if you want to follow Me, what? You have to be willing to sacrifice your own life. You have to be willing to give up your own agenda. That's what He was saying. And trust Me that because I created you and I'm the Almighty God who's holy and has never made a mistake in my life and I'm perfect in every way, somehow trust Me that I will do the right thing with your life. That's what salvation is. It's putting your faith, your trust in a living God for your well-being. Jesus gives us a reason for living because we, He says that we should follow Him. Secondly, we not only need to commit to following Christ, we need to commit to help other people. Look at verse 19. He says here in verse 19, Then He said, Follow Me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. A relationship with God is a very personal experience. Nobody else can experience the relationship that you have with God. Only you can. That word gospel means what? It means good news. Good news. And when you stop and you consider the fact that the Creator of the universe has forgiven my sins and He lives within me and He fills me with peace and joy and happiness and strength to deal with whatever comes my way, that's good news. My relationship with God compares with no other relationship. None. And my wife would say the same thing. Her relationship with God compares with no other human relationship. That's the way it should be. But in saying that, God doesn't want us to hoard that. He doesn't want us to keep it to ourselves. He wants to take us to take that good news and to say, well, who can we help with this? Who needs some help? That's one of the reasons here that when we, we want to live for others, we want to help others, we want to make a life-changing connection with Christ because in doing that, Jesus told Peter and Andrew, if you follow me, I'm going to make you what? Fishers of men. Now, he knew that they were fishermen. 
And he knew that, what, what, what are they talking about? What do you mean, fishers of men? What, are we going to go hook some guy? What, what are you talking about, Jesus? They understood what he meant. There's a couple things that fishermen do, if you're a fisherman. First of all, you've got to go where the fish are biting. I have a friend down at the coffee house, talk to him once in a while, and he's from uh, Half Moon Bay and lives over here now, but he goes back and forth, and, and he's telling me sometimes he goes over there and fishes. I said, what do you, how do you know where to fish? I go, do you go to that beach? Because sometimes I go over there, you know, where the marine is. He goes, no, 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 you got to go, you know. And he says, well, it depends. Different days, you go to different places, you just got to know where the fish are. He's a fisherman. That's what he does. So they go where the fish are biting. They also use bait the fish will take. Something my friend and I did not have on the first day of trout season. They use fish that the bait will take. They also do their best to keep themselves noticed by the fish. I remember when we used to fish in Little Bear Creek, we would always fish up the stream generally because generally the fish are facing, you know, up the current. And, you know, you'd kind of sneak up and throw your hook in. You didn't go in there and jump in the water and, okay, let's go fishing. You know, you, you, you wouldn't do that if you're a fisherman. You know that you kind of you got to allow the fish not to see you. And see, God calls us to follow His Son, Jesus Christ, but He also calls us to commitment to helping others. There's no way that we can help others if we're not willing to share the Gospel with them. There's just no way. What are you going to tell them? Have a nice day? Hope things get better? What would you tell somebody if you didn't have Christ in your life? What possible good news could you give them? I've done my fair share of funerals, and you know what? There's a whole big difference between someone who knows Christ and someone who doesn't. It's just the way it is. That's real life. Sometimes as Christians, we forget that people need to hear the message of the Gospel. Our efforts, our focus should be on what Jesus' focus was on. Sometimes we have to go where the people are. Sometimes we have to offer them what they need. We have to kind of direct the attention not to ourselves, but to Christ. And this is what Jesus wants each individual to do in their personal lives as well. He wants us to be committed to following Him, to helping others, to sharing that life-giving message of the Gospel with those around us. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, we'll get to that in a couple weeks, or months, or whatever, freely you receive, freely you give. See, that's the neat thing about the message of the Gospel. You didn't earn it. Can you imagine if... If every week you never earned your paycheck, it was just given to you? More than what you would ever even use? What kind of person would you be if you didn't even work for your paycheck, they gave you more than you could possibly ever even spend, and you took that paycheck and you put it in the bank and you just sat home and you hoarded it all to yourself? When you knew you had an endless supply coming in, there was nothing you were ever doing for it. It wasn't like you were out there breaking a sweat to earn that paycheck. It was just freely given to you every week, and it was more than you could ever even imagine of spending. What kind of person would it be if they didn't go out and help people with that? Well, the illustration applies to the Gospel. We've been given a remedy that 
for a disease that everybody has, that being sin. And it's the only remedy there is. And if we aren't willing to share it, if we aren't willing to go out in the highways and byways and, and, and be the kind of fishermen that Christ wants us to be, we're not living the way He wants us to live. Our goal in life should be to know God more intimately and to make Him known to others. That should be the goal. The last thing here quickly is commit in doing it right now. <laughs> commit to do it right now. Look at verse 20. It says there, they immediately left their nets and followed Him. I mean, that'd be like you going tomorrow morning, God telling you, okay, I want you to go to Africa and be a missionary. You go to your boss tomorrow morning and say, hey, sorry, I'm, I'm leaving. Uh, I don't even have time to have you. don't have time to give you a two weeks notice, but uh, I'll, i, I got to go to Africa because God told me to. You'd say, that's irresponsible. Don't you think this was their living? Don't you think this is what they did for a living? I mean, it's one thing to go to Little Bear Creek and fish for fun and goof around after a while because you're not catching any fish and you know you end up digging the mud somewhere or whatever. But you know what? It'd be a whole different thing if, if that fish was our dinner. You know, we wouldn't stand there for hours just kind of fishing thinking, okay, I hope it bites. We'd find something else to fish with. Because it would mean something to us if it, if it was our sustenance, if we had to have that fish to maintain our, 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 our body. But see, somehow, here, they had this career. They, had a, they were fishermen. Jesus comes to them and He said, Follow Me and I will make you a fisher of men. Verse 20, it says, They immediately left their nets and they followed Him. You know, I've never met a follower of Jesus Christ who said this to me. I'm so glad I waited to give my life to Jesus. I'm so glad I waited to surrender. You know, I, I, got, I got just the ability to sow all my wild oats, do my own thing for all those years, create all that havoc in my life and destroy my life in so many ways. And I'm just so glad that I waited. I've never heard anybody say that. Inevitably, they always say, I wish I would have heard this sooner. I mean, I got saved when I was 19 years old. And I said that. I wish somebody would have told me this 10 years ago. Commit to doing it now. Commit to yielding your life to Christ now. You know, when those students went to those classrooms on that Monday morning, they probably didn't realize that that was going to be the last day of their life. Literally. The last day of their life. That pilot climbed in that F-18 jet on Saturday with his family there at the air show. Confident. Probably done this thing a million times. Whatever happened. His time was up. It was over. You have to stop. This is a serious thing. When you ask these questions, when you say, you know what? What do I think about when I wake up in the morning? What do I think about throughout the day? What do I think about when I lay my head on the pillow at night? If your thoughts are not consumed with the living God in some form or fashion, maybe it's just a simple prayer to Him saying, thank you God for another day. Thank you God for a good night's rest.
Some of us may think, you know what? I wish that you know I could just could be consumed with the idea of of doing great things for God. And then they look at their life and they're overwhelmed with problems. Or maybe you need to do more with your life, but your plate's so full, how could you do it? See, Jesus doesn't want to be added to your plate of projects. Jesus doesn't want to just be added as one of the other token things you're going to do in your life. You know, another item on the plate of life. Jesus wants to be the plate. He wants to be the whole thing. And if He can't be the whole thing, then He's not, not interested. That's, that's what it's about. For Peter and Andrew, it meant leaving their jobs, living with Jesus. Does that mean the only way to follow Christ is to give up everything and, and just, you know, just kind of march around with a cross on your back? Well, no, I'm not saying that. But it does mean this when you decide to make Jesus the center of your reason for living, you commit to keeping those things He wants you to keep and removing those things that He wants to be <clears throat> removed. Remember when we were talking to a sculptor one time, and he was working with this piece of marble, and I remember him saying this. It was just a big square chunk of stone. That's all it was. And I asked him, I said, what are you going to make, make out of this? And he looked at me and he goes, I don't know. What do you think I should make out of this? I said, well, I have the slightest idea. I don't know. He goes, no, what do you see in this? I said, I don't, I don't see. I see a piece of rock. You know, I don't see anything. And he goes, you know what I see? And he went on to tell me he was going to make this statue. He goes, that's what I see. I said, how can you? I mean, you don't even have any like lines on there where you're going to chip away. He goes, no, I just see it in my mind. And he goes, as long as I can see it in my mind, I just start taking away. I chip away everything that doesn't look like what I'm seeing in my mind. And by the time I'm done, everything is gone except what I see. See, that's what Christ wants to do in your life. That's what Christ wants to do in all of our lives. He wants to chip away everything that doesn't look like Him, that's not following Him, that doesn't give Him glory. He wants to chip it away. And you know what that means? Sometimes that means pain. Sometimes that means hardship. Sometimes that means trials that are just too big for us to bear. But you know what? That's okay. Because Jesus says that He's there. And He's there to hold your hand and walk you through that time. He loves you. He desires that you follow Him. I pray that you'll consider these words this morning. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for these disciples who were called by Christ. And Lord, I, I pray that this morning, no matter where we're at in our journey with You, there may be people here who have known Christ and have gone to church for years. Maybe they've grown cold in their heart. Maybe they've grown religious. Maybe they've grown legalistic and pious. Lord, I pray that You would break up that ground in their heart turn the soil over, make it fertile. And Father, I, I ask too that if there's anyone here this morning, only You know the heart. We don't know what's going on in people's hearts. But if there's anyone here this morning who has yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, 
I just, I, I want them to know so bad that He loves them. That He desires for them to follow Him. If they would just cry out to Him. Just give up and just say, God, I'm, I can't do this anymore. I've tried for so many years. But I want to give up and let get, allow You a chance to make me into the person that You desire me to be. Maybe you're facing obstacles that are too big for you. Trust me, Christ has been there, done that. He can bear the load if you only turn to Him. If you only cry out to Him. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I'm not perfect. I don't have my act all together. Nobody does. But Lord, I'm willing to admit it. And I'm willing to extend my hand to You and say, I need help. I need help out of this ditch that I'm in. Because the miry mud and clay is just up around my waist and I, I can barely move anymore. He'll free you from that. and He'll set your feet on the solid rock of His Son, Jesus Christ. And for the first time in your life, you'll experience a love and a joy and a peace, even in the midst of your trials. Coming to Christ doesn't take away problems in our life. It only gives us a, a, a way to deal with them. It gives us someone to go through the storms in life with knowing that it doesn't just end at the grave, that we have eternity to look forward to. I pray that you would cry out to Christ today. Cry out to God. Ask Him to save you. He'll do that. It's a prayer that God will honor. Because He loves you. We pray, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.